Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 369 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to Mikhail Croder and Johannes Michel of Hippie Studio about their lefty-righty shoot-em-up, Shield Made MX. You might recognise Mikhail's name if you're a regular listener of Kane and Rinse. And he's been a host of that show for many a year. And I've actually shared some hosting duties with him on a few shows notably the Vectrex episode special, which I really enjoyed recording. But we're not here to talk about Vectrexes as much as awesome as they are. No, we're here to talk about Shield Made, which is an amazing lefty-righty shooter. It's a scrolling shooter, basically. 2D scrolling shooter using pixel art, beautiful pixel art. The lighting and shading and animations are just incredible. But the key to this game is the need or the requirement to... Rely on the fact that you can actually absorb bullets and weapons being thrown at you with your shield. And when it reaches a certain critical mass, it can be unleashed as a a great bolt of whatever it may be, depending on a ship you're flying. It was an absolute honour having Johannes Mikiel on to talk about the design and development of this game. So without further ado, let us listen to me from the recent past talk to these fine gentlemen about this extraordinary game. Chris, take it away. Mikel Johannes, who are you and what do you do? Maybe we'll let Johannes go first, because if you listen to Kenny Rins, you might have an inkling about who I am and what, and what I do. You've been on Kenny Rins quite a lot more often uh, than I have by now. Hmm. Exactly. I've been I've been on the show for exactly two times now, and both of them have been have been super fun and, and interesting. Um, who am I? What do I do? Um, I'm uh, mainly a software developer, sometimes software uh, consultant 
in a, a pretty big uh, software company. And what I'm doing there is actually uh, a lot of times similar to, to what I do as a hobby, which is develop uh, video games. Um, so I'm a, I'm a Unity developer. I built a, a virtual uh, reality and augmented reality applications in that enterprise space. So the, the tools of the trade are the same. The outcome is, is quite different. Um, but there's a nice uh, nice synergy there between what I do as a as a professional and what I do so far as a hobbyist. But yes. uh, that is also changing nowadays. The, the lines are blurring. Um, Michiel and, and I we have been dabbling with game development for quite some time now. I think it was uh, 2013 when we when we first started. Yes, yeah. it, it really has always been a hobby up to uh last year july august uh, around that time frame when we started to uh, all of a sudden like we had this this boost of creative energy and uh we also had this boost of uh, spare time uh thanks to this current weird uh state of the world and uh, we started really getting into it and yeah, this this past year and a couple of months, we have been hard at work every day, pretty much without without fail, uh, working on this this game of ours, Shield Might MX, which we just released uh, just a couple of days ago. Had a pretty small, laid back launch on on itch.io, um, and we're gearing up towards releases for the for the larger larger platforms. The, the Steams and then the the consoles of the world. Um, yeah, and uh, it's been Michiel and myself for the for those uh, almost what is it nine years, and we've known each other uh, quite a bit longer than that. Uh, we actually met in two thousand eight, I think yeah, it was. Late, yeah, late two thousand eight. Yeah, late two thousand eight. Uh, Michiel was working at uh, at NOE Nintendo of Europe in Frankfurt. And I was uh, there as an intern of the was it online marketing department? Yep, that's something. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where we met, and uh, we we had similar uh, interests from the from the get go. We st- I was only there for for like half a year. Yeah, was it was it a year? I don't even remember. Half a year or a year? Half a year, I think, about six yeah, months. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, we stayed uh, we stayed friends after that, and. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna gonna uh, kick the ball over to you now. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for the ball. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly how we met. Um, and I think a big uniting factor in our friendship was actually Street Fighter, right? First, oh, totally. Street Fighter Two on the uh, Wii Virtual Console, the uh, Super Nintendo version of Turbo, and then uh, when Street Fighter Four came out, so we kept playing that versus each other and versus other friends and other people within the company. Um, and going back uh, to my uh, personal story, I'm just a really lifelong lover of video games ever since I set my eyes on a cabinet of Pac-Man and I saw these colorful characters behind this glass screen glowing in this, you know, this magical 80 CRT kind of way. And just um, that, that sensation that you could control what was happening behind the glass with some, uh, some inputs. Um, and I've actually... 
um, my studies were um, uh, copywriting and uh, the Dutch language. Um, so I my sub my my professional field is actually like writing and editing. I do web editing work. Um, and that's how I ended up at Nintendo as well. And I did some, uh, I, I had a stint as a game reviewer as well for, uh, for a game reviewing magazine or a gaming magazine in the Netherlands. Uh, I ended up at Nintendo, um, uh, being in charge of the Dutch language content for, uh, Nintendo of Europe's website and doing some project management on promotional microsites for games. I, uh, project management, uh, the website for new Super Mario Brothers Wii, for example, um, that was really my one of my fondest remembered projects. Um, I've done game localization work as well as a freelancer, um, and a lot of other things. A lot of a lot of other uh, freelance odd jobs, all tied to um, text content. But yeah, I mean, video games has been sort of the thing that I've moved in and out of uh, within the industry and uh, uh, at. Nintendo, when I felt it was at Nintendo that at one point I felt like I don't really get along with giant corporate structures anymore. I kind of want to start something of my own. And um, yeah, that's how I got the idea to because I had so many ideas at the time. And I've been, I started really collecting video games seriously and playing a lot of older games again. I had so many ideas uh, being very analytical of, of video games as well, like a lot of I- ideas of kind of game concepts. So that's why how I got the idea to start our own little studio. And um, but of course, I don't have programming skills; just a lot of you know conceptual skills and uh, and content creation, content writing uh, skills. So that's how I linked up with Johannes, um, who I knew to be a programmer as well, and he was. On board immediately. So in 2013, we started dabbling with uh, with game development. Right, and um, here we are, you know, in 2021. It's interesting because 2013 is when the Sausage Factory was brought to. Oh, really? really? Right. Not, yeah. a, not a coincidence, I'm not sure. A coincidence. <laughs> there, might, there might be something we didn't know each other at the time, but maybe something whispering across the, the yeah we felt it i'm sure we felt it like it's a strange <laughs> british person and indeed you know, we did have a, a danish developer on the show not that there's anything to do with you two but there you go that kind of yeah. region of europe if you get my meaning yeah you know yeah, yeah. And, R- uh, roughly yeah it's very roughly i know it's very far away please don't please i know i know <laughs> and the, the, Dane, the danes are a very unique people in a good way so yeah. please don't. Ma- Matt's of uh, Matt's of uh, Retro Island. He is from uh, Denmark. Yeah, is, yeah, that's a good guy. So uh, Hit P Studio is the is the name of the company. It's a great. We'll talk true. about where that came from later on. Regular listeners and that's my last question of the show. Um, but um, so you kind of blundered into second question, which is awesome because so many guests do. How did you make you start making flashy lighted video games? However. Mm. I would like a little bit more fleshing out from Johannes about how he's made his start making video games. Was it, you know, plugging away at a Commodore 64? So many Northwest Europeans didn't really do. Um, I, I, I started, I started playing video games when I was, when I was very young uh-huh. and I think, and, and don't read too much into that. It's, it's more of a, a funny anecdote uh, than, than anything. Um, one of the first games that I played was uh, on my on my dad's PC, a game called Gorillas. It's a uh, I think Q Basic is the the programming language, 
it's a, like a, a warms like scenario like you have those, those two gorillas standing on skyscrapers throwing bananas at each other okay. you like have to enter the velocity and the angle of your of your throw as mm -hmm. the as numbers and then hit enter and watch the bananas uh, slowly fly uh, over towards the the other gorilla and my dad showed me how to uh, essentially alter some of the the parameters inside the the code of the game so i could make explosions bigger and stuff like that so one of the fir very first games i played i would have been like i don't know five six years old maybe i uh, was the the first game that i modded as well and um yeah when i was uh, a student um <clears throat> i studied uh japanese studies and uh, computational linguistics so i'm part uh part linguistics and part computer science um i dabbled with modding uh, games a lot uh command and conquer generals was one of the games that we modded heavily i was living with two friends and pretty much every night we were playing that game and it got boring to us so we started modding it that was pretty fun um and then i wanted to i don't really remember what it was i wanted to make some game of my own um and i was looking for uh the technology required to do that uh, and at the time unity was just very new um i think it was unity 2 beta or something uh when i when i first uh looked into that and i started learning that um and then by the i mean nothing never came of it i was just uh learning how to use the engine but i didn't have uh, any aspirations of making a real game i just wanted to be able to do it and so by the time when Michiel approached me to uh, to actually want to start making something for real, I was already familiar with the tools. So I had the ability to say, yeah, let's do this. I can, I can do this. I know I can. Uh, and I know you have the, the creative uh, wits about you. So the two of us combined might just be exactly the, the two skill sets that we need. To, to make a game. And then, um, of course, it became really handy that uh, I joined the, the company where I'm working now, where I'm doing the exact same thing every day uh, with Unity. And obviously, that helps me uh, grow as a, as a developer. And yeah, I said before, this, that kind of synergy between professional life and, and hobby life is, is fantastic, of course. Yeah, I guess my... Uh... Professional life is often more at odds with uh, with my hobby life, as you describe it. Um, but uh, just listening to your story has made me realize also because I do, I, of course, um, I within our um, collective, I'm the one who tends to put the design documents together and uh, you know start defining the rule sets and the mechanics, and then um, do the level design also. And just thinking back to it. I've always, whenever a game had a level editor, I was always really into that. Like, I remember the first game was on the oh, NES yeah, when right. we got that in 1990. And there was this black box NES game called Wrecking Crew where you could uh, build your own puzzles and uh, build your own stages. I was all over that. And because the Western version, you couldn't save it because the original game was a disk system game where you could save your levels on. If I would turn the NES off, my levels would be gone. So I would just be building these levels and then letting my two years younger brother like play them before we would turn the machine off again. 
uh, that sort of thing. And then uh, I remember making 3D uh, level editor, the the build engine. That was a big thing for us back in the day. We, yeah. we used to build levels for that all the time. That's cool, right. right. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to make a lot of maps for uh, time splitters as well. And uh, of course, I've been all over the Super Mario Maker games because that was such, when that came out. We when the first Super Mario Maker came out, we already had our thing going on. This thing of ours. True. And um, yeah, and and. Uh, so I figured, oh, I need to get Super Mario Maker because if we ever want to make a 2D platform game, you basically have the ideal study material here in a set of ideal platforming physics, you know, that you have, and then all these tool sets that you could sort of get your feet wet in yeah, the proper, proper level design. Came out. Yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's what you made, right, within uh, Unity for me. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's certainly a, a rather very interesting story in seeing how you sort of dabbled and the mere act of saying, well, I'd like to be able to do this, but I don't know what how to then have the, the proper skill to actually design the or actually understand game design or the science behind game design or indeed mm. the, the artistry, so we say. And uh, But I do know how to make computers do things. I just don't know whether they're doing the right things. Uh, and that's really interesting and a very common relationship, I find. Uh, in mm. smaller developers, you have one that's a, a creative director and the other is actually someone who's an engineer or a software design, designer or software uh, developer and say, okay, well, okay, you tell me what to what to do and I will, I will attempt to do those things. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, but also I'd like to point out that Johannes isn't just, you know, I don't just tell him what to do. No, no, yes, he, no. he has played a huge number yeah. of video games throughout his life as well, and he has a lot of ideas. And he, uh, you know, he, he often, we often just have one, one twos and uh, back and forths, and uh, he comes with a lot of really good ideas as well and fills in some of the areas where I'm a bit more vague, for example. And uh, yeah, it, it I, I tend to have really strong nicely. opinions as well. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's really good uh, that we're not just one person doing this, but that we're multiple people uh, working on this. And we, we actually have a lot of um, input from, from our testers and from our friends as well. And just being able to bounce those ideas off of each other yeah. and sometimes to, to keep each other in check and say, okay, this is a cool idea. I like the idea. But it's not the right idea for this. That's a conversation that we have to have a lot, actually. Yeah, we had one today. As, as much, yeah, as much <laughs> as it hurts, but you have to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. The creative process is very destructive. I've said this many a time. You come mm. up with this idea, you might pursue something to quite a lengthy process, and then realize that this is great, just not for this game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you have to. That's exactly. You have to remove it, and it goes to a, a great post-it note on the on the, in the sky. Eventually, it might be <laughs> might be retrieved. You never know. But uh, yeah, yeah. So next question, the dreaded third question. I have to ask it because you're creatives, and if you created something, you must have some influences. So what are those? What are the things that keeps you going? Why? Why? What? What do you find orbiting more than anything else that uh, ends up in the, as part of your output? My influences are um, the games that I love, and that's uh, of course uh, a very uh, vague way of expressing that. But um, and, and and I have a pretty broad taste. But when it really comes down to it, when I'm pinned in a corner, I'm all about uh, arcade games and arcade style games. And uh, so that's where 
I find a lot of inspiration. And uh, often, like how it happened with Shield Might as well, I'm uh, playing an older game and discovering some quirk or some odd mechanic and thinking, hey, this never really picked never nobody really picked up on this before. This never really went anywhere. And especially when you play a lot of Japanese games, uh, Japanese game design is often very iterative. In in traditionally in Western game design, people tend to want to reinvent the wheel over and over again, or at least it was like that during the, let's say, the 80s and the 90s. Now it's a bit different. Um, but um, yeah, Japanese developers often um, sort of figured out, okay, this works uh, for this person's game. Uh, let's build on that and let's make it better or make it more refined or add something onto that. Um, but then sometimes you discover these weird mechanics or, or weird little things um, and hey, you know, nobody did anything with this. Uh, maybe there's a good reason for it, but uh, let, let's try and, and iterate on that. Let's try and build on that. And that's how uh, ShieldNet came to be as well. Um, and if you want to talk about studios that I've really admired, um, yeah, um, Clover Studio, um, Platinum Games, uh, Treasure, or or a few, just those, those wild and zany uh creators with a lot of unbridled creativity uh you know and if you speak about treasure for example sometimes they try things and they don't really pan out but in most cases their games are at least when they're not on the upper echelon of their output uh in most cases they're at least interesting to play yeah yeah what about you johannes what what is the thing that uh you find yourself orbiting and uh, yeah. realizing that you focus on more than anything else. So I'm definitely a bit of an old school Nintendo fanboy. Those are the the games that I grew up with. Um, <clears throat> I had a couple of friends that had like a a Mega Drive for Genesis, but I myself usually played those uh, NES, uh, Super Nintendo games, um, and I still love those those uh by now retro games obviously like the super metroids and the the secret of manas those are the the things that i i think have the most special place in my heart um after that like as a bit more of an of an adult uh i i think my major influence was uh was competitive games um i think it was three maybe three major phases in my competitive gamer life the first one was uh, actually Magic the Gathering. So obviously that was not uh, digital uh, back in the day. Um, I played that for for a couple of years. And after that, it was uh, the first Guild Wars. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, so Very it's, much so, it's, yes. Big fan yeah. of that game. Cool, really good. yeah. Really good. Yeah, so then you know it's not an MMO, right? It's an, it's an online action RPG. And uh, the PvP aspect of it um, was what really drew me in. Uh, I was in a, a medium-sized, I guess, uh, PvP guild, and we were playing pretty much daily those eight v eight guild versus guild battles were were our thing uh, for maybe five or six years. Uh, we did that all the time. And I really still love that game. Unfortunately, the, the PvP scene is pretty much gone. Um, but that that had this it had this very interesting design that was also similar to Magic the Gathering with the 
the deck building aspects um, only it was a, a character uh, that you'd be building instead of a deck um, and after that uh, for me came Street Fighter Street Fighter 4 in particular um, as you might know I was on the, the Kane and Rinse uh, episode for, for that as well uh, that's definitely the game I've played the most uh, in my life so during all of its lifetime from, from the Arcade release up until Ultra finally, well, not died, but uh, the the scene got very thinned out uh, towards the end. Yeah, you became um, a bit of a Ryu even, right? Traveling the world looking for opponents <laughs> to, uh, to to improve yeah. your skills. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we did we did travel as much as we could to to tournaments, and um, I spent a lot of uh, time in Japan uh, playing that game as well. Um, had a couple of spots. Uh, in the in the bigger arcades, um, what would be basically every night uh, meeting up with the same people and and playing there. Um, and Michiel also, you said before, he's also a big uh, Street Fighter fan and fighting uh, game fan in general. And I think you can even see the those influences in in Shieldmite with the the meter management and the EX uh, special moves that we have in there. Which are very directly uh, inspired by by fighting games, I would say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then, uh, as of as of late, I do really respect and admire the the successful um, and best probably uh, indie developers uh, so much, like the the team cherries that make make Hollow Knight and the the guys that make Dead Cells and, and games like that, or um, even the the developers that go out of that indie space into more what you'd call triple a like house mark with uh, returnal this year mm. which is just an absolute masterpiece of a of a game so yeah it's a bit all over the place but and i'm i'm guessing a lot of people have those same influences but that's that's where i come from yeah it's great i mean i have a huge swath of stuff that comes out and many people just sort of pause and say i don't know reality itself and that's fine to, to point to that and go, that's the that's the thing that gets me going, uh, and I've have, I have also the unknown. Known unknowns is something people like mm. to talk about when it comes, to, especially when it comes to adventure games. Yeah, yeah, there is always outside influences. Uh, you know, you need to draw your inspiration for your uh, your let's say the audio visual themes of your games from somewhere as well, right? Yeah. So uh, you know, I, I when when I was. Uh, like in my early teens, uh, my uncle who passed away early, no, late 2019, uh, he used I used to borrow a lot of his science fiction novels, uh, the Frank Herberts and the Jack Vances and uh, and all that stuff. So uh, I have a a very big soft spot for that sort of uh, adventurous uh, science fiction as well. Uh, so when, for example, the the game that we're making now draws from a well of lore that I've already created in uh, for our failed projects <laughs> that we basically reappropriated and, you know, sh- shed a different light on. And, uh, yeah, that all comes from there as well. Nice. nice. And we also live in a time where a new Dune movie just came oh, no. out. And yeah. Foundation, yeah. Foundation is is a series on, on Apple TV. Yeah. What is mm. this timeline? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's the bad one, but it's it's there. I think it might be. Not entirely sure, but for some things, yeah. some things are good. And I've been watching the Foundation series. I what I read all the books. Um, mm. Similarly with with Dune. Same here. Yeah, I was sitting there watching Dune and going, "Yes, when's this? 
when's this character going to expire? Oh, there you go. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know I just <laughs> knew the plot lines. I knew who was why certain things were important, whilst other things weren't important. Uh, mm. And uh, that was an interesting experience. To similar to when I watched uh, Lord of the Rings, I said again, that 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 person's not supposed to be there. What's going on? But then I like to remind people that that film is now twenty years old. Anyway, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> just just to jump in there real quick, uh, yeah. Because we have we have a third guy uh, working with us on the game, but he's he's not on the show. Uh, we we call him the art department, uh, even though he's he's just a single guy. Yeah, and he made he made all the the assets um, for for our game, uh, except for some VFX uh, stuff that I'm working on. But all the the ships that you see, all the renders that you see, um, were made by him, based on very crude sketches that Michiel made. Uh, made um, MS Paint. Every, yeah, everybody loves his his MS Paint sketches, but they're not exactly up to to snuff when it comes to to putting them into the game. No. So our our art department guy. Who is actually my cousin? Um, he he made all the the assets for us, and he's a huge uh, Star Wars and, and Halo fan. Uh, he he loves uh, hard sci-fi, and I think you can see that in the design of the of the game as well, right? You have a, a lot of ships that look like his versions or his interpretations of what a Star Destroyer could look like, uh, for example. So yeah, our um, we definitely have a shared interest there as well. Yeah. Mm. So, next question then, and I think you kind of answered it a little bit already. I know uh, Mikhail has, but let's just focus on one, maybe. But what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Any any particular one that you think um, they should carry on doing their stuff? Uh, Mikhail, you want to take that? Sorry. Yeah, I kind of kind of already uh, answered that one, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, is, yeah. Is, is it still treasure with you? You think it's they're the ones that you? Yeah, treasure. Point to? My, yeah, but I also, of course, since we are in the uh, shoot 'em up realm now, yeah. uh, I also really love uh, love Cave, for example, mm-hmm. the uh, mm-hmm. famed uh, Bullet Hell. Um, yeah, sort of foremost. Studio that uh, that put those games out, like the Dodon Patches and Mushi Mazamas and uh, and everything. Um, yeah, a, a wide range. I think um, I do. It's not like I'm really um, biased that way, but I do. Maybe it's because of my uh, that arcade gaming was my fir- first love. I do do tend to gravitate um, towards uh, Japanese action game developers a lot, uh, and yeah. I I can appreciate a lo- a wide range of games from that are made all over the globe. But if I really, you know, if if, if my my if I ha- really have the soul search and where my heart and soul lies, that is what I have the most affinity with. Nice. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's an interesting aspect of it. Um, so Michiel mentioned all those uh, those shmup developers um, that I was not really familiar with when we started this. Um, so I, I always uh, liked the, the well-known shmups and I had played some, you know, Gradius, R-Type, uh, things like that. But, uh, for example, when it comes to the, the more modern, especially the vertical uh, bullet tail shmups and, and stuff like that, I only knew or had played the, the really famous ones. And I don't want to say it, but, like, I have played Ikaruga before and, and things like that. 
but I, <clears throat> I was not, I was not uh, intimately familiar with the genre, not like I'm maybe with other genres. Um, so I've only come to know, uh, so, only come to know some of those games um, during the, the development of our game. Now it has really broadened my horizon, of course. Um, what, what I like most about those games and the developers that do it uh, really well that that Michael mentioned um, is maybe something similar to what the the fighting game developers that I like do, which is this really clear and simple design, both visual and in, in gameplay, um, and the the immediacy of the of the control, and also a bit of simplicity there. Right? They it's, yeah. it's usually simple gameplay mechanics with a yeah. lot of depth yeah you're not uh, sitting there with a, with a 40 button uh still exactly. controller. yeah unfortunately yeah. <laughs> i feel it yes thank you <laughs> and then of, then of course then of course uh the the juiciness of those of those shmups especially by the by the japanese developers is just fantastic and juiciness in games is one of my absolute favorite things to do like just have those have those popcorn enemies pop, have those huge explosions go off. I'm a simple man. This yeah, is so this is yeah. fun. That's fine. I, I I always liken the simple joy of a shoot 'em up to uh, grabbing a piece of bubble plastic and popping every bubble on it. You know, it's a uh, until if the it, huge the huge bubble with the steel shell comes on and crushes you. Of course, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's that it's that it's that primal sense of satisfaction, and from there on, you work further and you add layers and layers of death yeah 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 yeah. i think also that that is another uh common thing that should another thing that shoot 'em ups and fighting games have in mind uh, have in common is uh that sort of layer design right you can be you can enjoy them on a, on a very surface level just press some buttons and enjoy the immediacy of the action or you can really start delving into them and, and i think you it, need that bef- before you even want to start delving in yeah it needs you to be need, there, that need, primal satisfaction. Yeah, on the surface, it already needs to be fun. Otherwise, it's not going to be a fun game. Yeah. 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 So last question then of the first half, he says quickly. But here <sighs> it is. And um, uh, I understand it's a bit of a loaded question for you, Mikhail, to, to, to ask you what you're playing right now because you might be playing it for Kane and Rince. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure you've got a recording coming up I can't remember, I lose track I'm not supposed to be keeping track at the moment, lots of uh, talking about a certain game but anyway, what are you playing right now? The game I'm playing for Kenny Rince right now is yeah, I've already completed that back in the day so I'm planning to do a bit of a refresher on that, but that would be Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest Ooh. so that's going to be an interesting one to talk about What was that one? Uh, that, that was on the NES, yeah. It was on the NES, okay. There might have been an MSX version of that as well, but that uh, if probably. if it was, it was it was probably quite a bit different. Uh, it would be MSX IMAX two, wouldn't it? Probably. Yeah, and I imagine it would have like flick screens instead of scrolling uh, and eh, that sort of thing. Probably, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That's nice, nice. Yeah, okay. yeah, and I've been playing a little bit of uh, Fire Shark on the on the Mega Drive. Uh, okay. Because uh, for, because no, I, I wouldn't say four hour work, but uh, at, at least for some time now, we we hang out on the Shmup centric discords, uh, and uh, one of them is uh, uh, the Discord of Shmup Junkie, a, a, 
a YouTuber that has risen in popularity and has covered our a pre has done a preview on our game two times already, uh, and we hang out with the community there a lot. And uh, he actually asked that the developers of Total Plan were um, they were putting a request to him. They reached out to him asking him if he could gather video footage of players all over the world playing Total Plan games and uh, filming their reactions, and then they're going to compile it all into some sort of large video. So that's the old old heads of Toad Plan that were there in the late 80s, early 90s, working nice. in that studio. Nice. And I recorded a little video of me playing Fire Shark on a Mega Drive and getting very frustrated, and uh, um, kind of putting an act on, you know, just for <laughs> com comedic value, because yeah, I yeah. actually never really tend to get very frustrated with video games. Uh, so and then I decided, oh, this is fun to be playing again. So I I kept it inside the Mega Drive and I switched it on from time to time again. Hmm. Not familiar nice. with it. Is it a like a you Japanese only game? I don't know. Flying no, Shark. it's I know it, Flying the West, Shark, but yeah, it's a sequel to Flying Shark. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. It's you're in a little biplane. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's your very typical tow plan vertical shooter fair with little tanks and little turrets and little planes that come flying into formations on the screen. Yep. Very yep. very simple but well made stuff. And you have in your biplane, you can you have this ridiculous red lightning weapon that sweeps all across the plane. That doesn't make any sense. Which. <laughs> <laughs> yeah not, I mean, not quite not quite time accurate or accurate at any time maybe no right. uh. <laughs> well, what about you johannes what's uh, distracting you at the moment i was just uh catching up on some some bigger releases so i just uh finished metroid dread uh got the 100 percent on that um it was an interesting game i yeah i'm kind of halfway <laughs> through it the uh yeah the boss battles are very, very well put together. Yes, I that was that was very clever. Yeah, that was really impressive uh, what they did there. About the rest of the game, I have some mixed opinions, but the the boss fights were were really good. Yeah. Yeah. Then uh, I also I think just yesterday I finished uh, the the true ending or secret ending of of Returnal. Oh uh, right, okay. Spend a good maybe sixty hours uh, in that game. Um, I think it's the better Metroid game uh, that came out this year. Ooh, um, controversial <laughs> opinions. Well, no, it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's really yeah. good. It's really good. You are um, one of five people to own a PS5. I'm one as well. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's like you know, there's a, there's a brotherhood or indeed sisterhood of, of <laughs> let's say peoplehood of about five, very, about five of us true. who own a PS5. That's true. It's uh, a it's a very exclusive club, and uh, you're is. already making making me feel like rebel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I hate it's, to it's break. time you came by and we played some PS5 games. It's true. Yeah. At the time yeah. of uh, recording, the PS5 is actually a year old. That's ridiculous. Uh, I don't believe you. No, I know, but it is actually a year old because I still yeah. got images when I put mine up on launch day because I was gloating because you know I was one of the five on launch day. Yeah, on wow. launch day, picked it up. Look at this guy day. in the in the, in in the, in the morning, first thing in the morning of launch day. That's now. crazy. That's crazy. So I took photos in, on Twitter and people going, "You're that's that's impossible." No, I said, no, it was not. I got it. Yeah. yeah. But, and uh, then the, yeah. the the other games uh, that I played uh, over, over the weekend, I, I had some people over uh, for the first time in a while, and uh, popped open some some sealed uh, Switch multiplayer games. So we did play some 
uh, Puyo Puyo Tetris 2. Lovely. Uh, yes. I have no idea what the difference uh, to Puyo Puyo Tetris 1 is. It looked probably exactly has the a, same. Probably has a new storyline. Yeah. Ah, yeah, maybe. There we go yeah. with that. And then yeah. we played some uh, Bubble Bubble for Friends. The Baron is back. That's the new which one, was, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, better than I expected because I, I saw Bubble Bubble in crew, with crude 3D graphics and I thought, okay, this is going to be bad. But it was actually a, a competent uh, multiplayer game for sure. Right, like maybe. as a as a party game, it was really good. Yeah, maybe it's decent with four players, right? Maybe uh, yeah. If you yeah, play I mean, single player, it might be quite uh, yeah, dull. Usually, yeah. everything is is better with with more players, of usually. course. Not always, yeah. but yes, usually. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, and then I mean, of course, the the main game that I'm playing is ours because I'm I'm testing and and tinkering all the time. Oh, of course, yeah, uh, which is still fun but obviously i'd love to to have more time for for other games as well and then uh, as i'm looking at my small uh paper craft grub sitting on my desk here a hollow knight grub i'm desperately waiting for news on silk song which is probably mm. never going to happen makes me very sad but that's yeah, why how it is goes. that nobody knows mm. yeah. something's amiss it's very strange considering yeah. the success of the previous game might be some internal issues or maybe creative issues. Who knows? It's best not to speculate yeah. like that. But uh, exactly. let us hope it's resolved soon. Well, as as soon as it comes out, I'm sure the guys are going to hop on the show and tell you all about it. So. Yes. Yes. They will, hopefully. Cross fingers. So let's move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into Shield Made MX.
so first question regular listeners will know isn't a question it's a request in your own words gentlemen what is Shieldmade MX I'm definitely gonna let uh, Mikhail start on that because he's the, the shmup expert walking it's a, encyclopedia it's a what Chris would call a lefty righty 2D shooter right that's yeah. it lefty righty 2D shooter Lefty righty, and not it, up, it, it is not, not uppy downy. Yeah, it's constant or downy uppy. Just to be clear, that you're always moving from left to right all the time. It is not Defender, which wasn't really that kind of game. That was a yeah. very different game. It was, so basically, the uh, the origins, origins, origin you could say is Scramble. Yeah, probably that's it. Scramble or Vanguard, but let's say Scramble because it wrote the rule book on the genre. It did. Vanguard. Vanguard was more of an oddity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's that type of game, um, um, and because no, let me let me let me uh, go back on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so we, I was talking earlier about how I often find these odd little design dead ends, and one of those things was uh, in another lefty ready shooty shooter game uh, on the. Uh, Super Nintendo called uh, UN Squadron, and then I'm not I'm singling out the, the Super Nintendo version because it's quite a bit different from the arcade version, uh, also known as Area 88, of course. Um, in that game, it's very odd that when you you have a health bar, and when you get hit, your ship doesn't just simply chafe off health or gets a brief invincibility period, but it en- enters into a danger state. Your health bar is completely is completely empty. The words danger flash on, flash on screen, a little siren goes off. And during that period, which lasts a couple of seconds, the next hit kills you. And I always found that very curious. And if you survive that danger period, um, your health bar fills up again and you can take another hit, be it in a diminished form. And I, I had this idea already for a long time thinking, what if there was a shoot 'em up in which you want to get hit by a bullet, so you get that sort of different state kicking in. Um, but then, you know, there needs to be something else. Maybe you have a little shield that appears when you get hit, um, so you can shield, for example, through impenetrable laser barriers or something. Like you need to use that invincibility to cross certain impenetrable, impenetrable sections. So the idea was really puzzle-like. Uh, it was just sitting there in the back of my mind all the time, and I didn't. You know, I didn't know quite what to do with it because it was very rudimentary. But then um, last year, when uh, Johannes was uh, building some uh, some sort of uh, design prototype for a shoot 'em up, these two things fell into place. And I said, like, well, I have an idea for a shoot 'em up already for some time, but I don't know quite sure what to do with it. I didn't usually. I write down a whole list of concepts. We have a whole list of documents of concepts that we would like to work on. But that was it. Was such a simple idea that I never really wrote down a full um, document for it. And uh, so I told Johannes about the idea, and we thought, okay, let's do something more with the, sh- the shield mechanic. Uh, maybe you can um, start, you know, collecting or absorbing bullets to make your ship stronger in a so- more elegant way. It's a more. It would be a more elegant way to power up your ship instead of grabbing uh, like uh, collectible items to 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 power up your ship. And uh, Johannes put together a prototype, 
And to a little, a little bit to our surprise, it was already immediately fun to to play it. So that whole idea of you're flying around and you want to fly into a bullet, so your defense system, your ship's defense system kicks in as a reaction to flying into that bullet, and then you need to you can start collecting bullets to power up your ship. And at the end of uh, your sh shield period, you need to deal with the aftermath, which is the danger period in which your shield. Needs to reach, re needs to reboot. Your systems need to reboot again. Need to recharge before you can start using it again. Um, and it, it's this revolving cycle: neutral shield, danger, neutral shield, danger, all the time. That was uh, really creates a sort of shifting dynamic in yeah, in an old school video game genre. So even without having designed any levels around it or having it fl fleshed it out much further, it was already kind of addictive. And yeah, that's how Shieldmate MX originated. It's a it's an extraordinary concept that goes against everything I know as regards to a bullet hell game, which I don't. I think it's a, it gives Shieldmate MX a disservice to to call it just oh it's a it's lefty righty shooter bullet hell game. It's not. It's something else. Mm. It's, and uh, I want to ask about. We've already revealed a little bit more, little bit about the concept of the uh, absorbing bullets, specifically bullets of a certain color. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. In in Shieldmade MX, and I just want to, you know, the the idea of actually using the bullets as fuel. To 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 create, make you stronger. Basically, your enemies are feeding you as a monster. Yeah, and yeah. that idea is just really quite profound. I think <laughs> because profoundly different, I should say. In that, I think I was leading one of the previews of one of your chief testers saying that here's a game where you actively try not to shoot your enemies so they can shoot you more. How? What? What point did you think this would be a good idea? I mean, it's a wonderful concept, and it's yeah, I think I think it just it just but... fell into place, right? Like a, a lot of the the consequences from that initial decision of that initial three stage loop of the neutral shield danger, everything that that comes after that was born from that, and a lot yeah. of it was not designed but was uh that's another buzzword but that uh, kind of emergent gameplay uh that happens from that yeah and then we <clears throat> once we did the typical uh mantra of of follow the fun right so we we added uh on on top we added layers on top of uh what was already happening so for example when your shield is up you absorb bullets the bullets power up your ship your ship gets stronger, your DPS gets higher. Uh, as long as your shield is active, your uh, there's a little meter for uh, a multiplier that ticks up. So your score escalates, um, and with uh, escalating score, uh, your your shots also become stronger. That's actually something we added relatively late into the game. So the multiplier is not only affecting your score, but it's only affecting it's also affecting your strength. So even for players that don't care much about scoring, that only uh, care about survival runs, for example, um, they also get more fun out of it if they engage with the mechanics. Um, and all those those little things, uh, they really just, well, some of them just came together and just 
happened to be that way, mm. uh, which was really cool to see. Um, and the the other huge aspect was uh, feedback from our testers. So we we started extremely early. Uh, I think not even a month or so, maybe maybe a month or two. Yeah, in September, uh, I think we put our yeah. Discord server together and we started. Uh, yeah, exactly. Pulling in friends to to start alpha testing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that that feedback uh, was really what what brought the game to the to the next level, um, because there were some aspects of it that we thought were fun that turned out are not so fun if you engage with it from a from the perspective of a player, and I mean you're you're always the worst uh, tester uh, for your own stuff because you have something in mind of this is supposed to work like this and you are supposed to act like this and engage with it like this. Mm. But that's, that's not actually what a real quote unquote real player would do. Um, so some things had to, had to change. One huge thing, for example, was uh, the length of the game, the length of the stages. Uh, that's not, of, of course, not directly correlated to the, the core mechanics, but rather to the, the game as a, maybe as a product even. Mm. Um <clears throat> that was something that uh, drastically changed uh, during the early development when at first a full playthrough would run over an hour and players did not like that, especially those uh, experienced shmup players um, who said, no, nah, this, this is too long. I mean, it's a cool game, but I'm not going to play this for long because the sessions are uh, the duration of a session is too long. Yeah. So Michiel had to go back in and, and change some pretty fundamental things about the the stage layouts um, yeah. to accommodate for that players. And, and at first yeah. you're you're resistant to that idea, right? Because mm-hmm. you made this and you want people to experience it. But then you know it it makes a lot of sense. And the li- the last thing you want to do is make people feel fatigued when they play your game. You rather want them to be disappointed that it's already over with and it's already finished and we wanted to play more of it. You want you rather want them leave leaving wanting more than feeling burnt out and fatigued on the game. So yeah. and it's then that of very course, simple idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then that that feeling of wanting more, we remedied that by adding more modes to the game. So yeah. while you can finish a single run of a single mode within a half an hour, uh, you will work towards unlocking more modes. And uh, even now we're working on even more modes so that there is just more content for, for people to enjoy. And also slightly different types uh, of content for different types of players. I think that's also important. Yeah, there are indeed different types of players. Speaking for myself, I think Mikhail knows this about me, uh, uh, that I played World of Warcraft just to see it all, generally. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to see it. I only entered a raiding guild just to see the dungeons. I couldn't get into them without another 24 at the time, 39 other people with me. Yeah, you, you want know, to be in those digital places, right? Yeah, you just want to be there. And uh, that's one of the things that drives me on. So for me, it wasn't... I mean, I like the point scoring and the point chasing. Don't get me wrong, I'm not immune to it. I'm not going to be one of those people. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm more into just seeing these new worlds and, and these new concepts coming in before my very eyes. And uh, but also going back to that point about you know having that sense of challenge and finding new things and new nuances. For me, one of the earliest things games I experienced that has that kind of experience is uh, Robotron. I, I still 
Oh yeah, there's, some, there's something about that game that even well, I can't, it's very difficult for me to pass a cabinet if it's there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will play it. Uh, I will definitely play. It. I'm not very good at it, but I still will play it. And I, I got the same kind of feeling, like same kind of design sensibility from Shieldmade. MX mm. when I I don't know how whether it was deliberate or subconscious the feeling of uh, that sort of lo- that feedback loop to the player rewarding them for for doing well and indeed warning them saying now you're just being dumb but you never say that of course <laughs> but you might not want to well, do that again yeah yeah exactly mm. yeah I can I can sort of see that it, there's a shared exuberance in uh, both That's Robotron and Shieldman, right? The wild, explosive colors and, uh, yeah, that, that sort of thing. Which leads me on to my next question. Hey, see, it's almost <laughs> as if I did that deliberately. I might have done this before. Yes, I have. Um, but here we are. There's a lot happening on the screen in Shieldmade yeah. MX. There really is a lot happening. And it's very fast. And there's no hint of slowdown. Not on my machine, anyway. And uh, there's no flickering, of course, because that doesn't happen anymore. So the, the, the icons and it doesn't. I know, Johannes, you understand why that doesn't happen. But back in the day, it did. Uh, it did happen because they had to do lots of tricks with the yeah. visuals to to make it actually work, because they didn't have a lot of resources like they do now. There can the funny a funny detail is that there can actually be a little bit of uh, flicker in Shield Metamax because uh, the, the Enemy sprites all exist on the same layer, on the same same plane. Oh, and then if there's st- if too many of them start overlapping, you see a, a little hint of flicker. In it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a different type of flicker, though. Yeah, uh, technically, it technically is. speaking, yeah. and yeah, yeah, if it happens, it's a bug. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the, the assembly language stuff from the 16-bit and yeah, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's a whole different conversation. But what about horizontal options? lines and all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. this is really led. The player, this fact of this visual splendor, so anyway, I'll describe it, has led to ensure the player must know where they are in relation to everything else and what they're doing. And whilst you're trying to create a visual delight, there has to be some f- underlying function to what's going on, which is the 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 major issue with video games. Say issue, but that's the thing: is that what you're looking at not always, most of the time, has some functional reason to exist. Mm. How have you found balancing the visual sort of event that you're providing with Shieldmade uh, MX versus its functionality? How have you found that? And I understand it's a bit of an art design question. Maybe it's not, but it's just making sure that, yes, you are giving the player feedback some reward for their efforts but by the same token at least need to know what they're doing yeah a big thing in uh shoot 'em ups and especially the modern ones i mean i was talking about fire shark there's not a whole lot going on in, in that game it's just some turrets and some planes and a few bullets that fly here and there but um if you look at cave for example the screen is often filled with explosions big beams big numerical values shooting up everywhere but still, you always see immediately what's a threat, what you need to be avoiding and everything. It's, it's masterful visual design. Uh, we try to approach that because even though we are not... Shield Meta Max isn't really a bullet hell as in the sub-genre bullet hell of, uh, of shoot-em-ups. Uh, but there is visually a lot going on. 
and um, there is a constant sort of tugging going on in the player. You want to fly into the bullets, but you want to stay away from the missiles that penetrate your shield because, like in Dune, solid objects that move at a slower pace will pass through your energy shield, like knives do in the in Dune. Yeah, do. So yeah, and then there's our laser beams that you can shield through, but they also deteriorate uh, your shield duration very quickly, yeah. and you need to have enemies around to chain kill so just so that you're not caught with your pants down. So there's a lot of tugging going on with the player, and there, the screen gets very busy, especially in the later parts of the game, the later modes and the later loops. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite a challenge uh, when you're talking about different layers that uh, different objects appear at uh, you know, from a technical perspective, but also, for example, um, the single most threatening object in the game has remained probably the missile because it will kill you when your shield is up when your shield is down when you're in danger state a missile will always be a threat to you and you can try and make them very big but then their logic would dictate that their hitbox is also within the logic of our game at least that their hitbox would be rather big so we didn't want to do that so we kept them relatively small but uh with the lighting, all the fancy lighting that uh, Johannes has uh, put in there, um, you know, a lot of missiles would get lost in the melee and often players would find themselves dying from something they hadn't seen. So yeah. Yeah. then, for example, we made the example to make missiles exempt from lighting. So they will always be the same color and they will always be, you know, the, they have the same type of visibility to them and they will all, always be layered on top of everything else. Um yeah, it's that sort of constant refinement, that constant trying to find and strike a balance. So it's 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 not easy. Yeah, yeah. and just to to elaborate on the on that uh, that intersection of art and, and tech there. So, for example, um, all solid objects. But it's a pixel art game, right? So all the all the solid objects have a clear pixel outline that you can see, um, and solid. Uh, solider objects <laughs> like th there are those those big uh big background uh ships uh happening in some of the stages um the ones that you are not supposed to collide with uh, or i mean you can but then you die uh have a big red outline so you immediately can see that th those are different or <clears throat> at a very late stage in the game we introduce uh, a new enemy bullet type uh, a green bullet um that will, when you collide with it, will zap away your shield. So it's a new, very uh, dangerous projectile that you encounter late in the game. Um, we made that visually completely distinct from from the regular bullets. It's a different color, but color in, uh, by itself is, of course, not en enough because you have people that have problems with, with color perception. So the bullet is also bigger. Um, but then we still have people uh, not register that probably uh, properly. So we added uh, a kind of distortion effect on top on now they, they really stand out. And I went to great lengths to make sure that the hierarchy um, is always kept, that uh, a bullet can never be obscured by an enemy, an enemy can never be obscured by an explosion, um, those types of things, right? And your own, your own ship will always also be on top and not be obscured by anything. Mm -hmm. um, Plus, uh, we also 
I think we we went out of our way to um, introduce as many accessibility options as we could, we could think of, mm. and uh, even now we have players that are asking for for more uh, specific accessibility options, and I definitely want to implement those as well. Yeah, um, you can turn off everything that is non-essential, uh, even right down to to explosions. Uh, you can make the the game look comparatively simple to its default settings. Um, because the, and yeah, we, we find that people turn off different things. Some people don't like the missile trails. Some people don't like distortion effects. Some people don't like slowdown effects. Some All people don't like screen things. shake. Yeah. Screen shake. Definitely <laughs> a huge, yeah. huge thing. Right. Um, yeah. so you can, you can really, uh, tune the game to, to your liking in that sense. Um, because it all does not make a difference to the gameplay and, uh, the essential visual information should always be kept. But if you have problems with a lot of visual noise, you can just tone that all the way down, even to having a completely black background, no explosions, no missile trails. And mm. yeah, uh, even like the the complexity of the lighting shaders, all those those types of things you can you can switch on and off if you want to. Nice. I personally want to take it all in, but it's so important that yeah, 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 that yeah. people we, can we turn try it off to, if they we want try to. to also um, any any uh, vital information is displayed in multiple places. So, for for example, you have this uh, EX ability, um, powerful laser beam or a stronger shield on on another ship, um, which you charge up by destroying enemies. And you can see how far along that charges uh, in, a, in a meter in the UI. Um, and when it's fully charged, that meter blinks, your ship starts getting a uh, different outline color, and you get a voice cue. So that's three points where you get the same information. So if you have, for example, if you, if you have no hearing, you can't hear the voice cue, obviously, but then you can see the, the visual cue. Uh, or you can uh, even switch on subtitles to to get the voice cue uh, via that. Yeah. Um, I sometimes play the game with a with a black and white filter to see um, or to make sure that there's no vital information that is only conveyed by color. Um, yeah. For example, yeah. you were talking about uh, the color of the bullets. Mm -hmm. That was more a visual aid than anything in the early yeah, alpha not, builds. It the bullets be were essential. not changing color. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's actually not. The, the bullets that are changing color, which you need to respond to, or respond to the bullets changing color is a result of the state of your ship changing. Yes. As a visual aid. Absolutely, yeah. 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 I want to ask about the progression within Shieldmade MX. It's definitely there. You reward players for their perseverance, which mm. you have to in games like this. Yeah. Um, can you describe how you developed that and designed that? And also... The dynamic difficulty system that's found within it. I understand that the, the the more you die, the easier the game becomes to make it a little bit more. So the player gets better and better at playing it, but at least they see the more difficult aspects so they know what's going to come, at least a form of it anyway. Yeah. Just talk us through that, please. Yeah. Um, originally, uh, I don't want to maybe bore you with too many details, but originally we wanted to make Shield Metamax a very simple game that we could release in three months. So we were thinking, of, or at least I was thinking, 
Johannes wasn't fully on board with that, and we ended up not doing that in the end. But I was thinking three stages that keep repeating, of course, with iterations, uh, pretty much endlessly, like a game of an arcade game of Donkey Kong, for example, you know, until the player can't go anymore. But during testing, we found that this is not a good idea because we expressly wanted to have a fairly gentle learning curve in there. But that means that the better players would have to start from the very easy stages again, which would be boring to them. So we didn't want to force players that are good at shoot-em-ups or good at the game to have to, whenever they start a new game, start from the beginning again. But if if we would just allow them to select their starting position, that would mean they would, if there would be competitive scores, they would miss out on the scores in those earlier loops. So that's how the idea for two different modes be, uh, yeah, became pretty much apparent. Okay, we need to do different modes. A beginner mode for 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 beginners, obviously, not necessarily shmup beginners or shmup beginners, but also people that are just not familiar with this game's specific mechanics. Because we also found that maybe some seasoned uh, shmup players actually had a lot of uh, trouble flipping that me- mental switch of where they had to fly into bullets and they had to keep flying into bullets with their shield to keep it going. They wanted to avoid everything on screen and thus were not powering up their ships and d- thus were not having a very good time with it. Um, so, yeah, progress system was uh, then the, the various loops uh, and then unlocking the various loops. We also went back and forth with that. Sometimes we had all lo- all modes um, unlocked from the start um, because people, especially the testers, were saying, "Yeah, I don't want to keep on unlocking all those uh, th- those later loops if I or later modes if I want to start at a di- more difficult mode from the beginning. I want to be able to do so." But then the trade-off with that was people that thought they were se- seasoned uh, shoot-em-up players and they were um, dove into the harder difficulty mode. But then, um, yeah, pretty much got washed away because they had no idea what was going on. They didn't register everything that was going on. So we felt like unlock starting them off in the easy mode was a necessity for people just to catch on to what, what's actually going on in the game before they started tackling the harder modes. So there's a lot of that. And then um, dynamic difficulty is apart from selecting... Um, a difficulty mode, right? Or a, a, a mode that has varying difficulty. Yeah. Um, at first, we didn't have it. And I felt that it's actually a lot more games have dynamic difficulty, especially in the arcade sphere, than a lot of people realize. And when it's not there, you start noticing it because the game becomes a bit static and boring. It's always the same, dependent, ir- yeah. irrelevant of how the player performs. So when you start implementing a system where certain factors of the game start rising uh, depending on on your performance, so you start doing better and better, this means that maybe the game is not challenging enough for you. You know, divorced from the whole idea, oh, we need to keep people, you know, we need to keep people feeding quarters in the machine. We need to kill them fast so they don't stay on the machine for too long. But there's a game design side to dynamic difficulty as well, where it's just nice to constantly keep that friction in, that people constantly feel that pushback from the game that's right for them, where they they do feel challenged, they don't feel bored, especially arcade players or shoot-em-up players. They they don't want to feel like they're waltzing through the game on their first try. Um, But then the the other side, 
there are games that have dynamic difficulty that only rises, that never comes down, which is also not a, a good way to approach it, I feel. If people die a lot, I feel like we should lower the difficulty as well, which is uh, where yeah. why we, yeah. we meant it, it would go both ways. So that's the whole idea about that. And the nice thing about that also is, depending on, on your performance, you're playing a slightly different game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's... Um... I, I, I just allowed me the glimpses of certain sections I couldn't quite get to because I wasn't competent enough. It wasn't until repeated play, and believe it, I've had lots of repeated play that I've actually yeah. found that parts that I found difficult are no longer because yeah. I understand I can find myself really focusing on what's going on and knowing really what's happening. And the only time I actually fail is when I forget that, when I get yeah. lost in it. Mm. And that's my fault. You know, that's the other thing that uh, the best arcade games know that you walk away going, this is unfair. We've all played those. Yeah. Uh, and Shield Made is, Hopefully, yeah. is not one of those. It's like, no, it's that, you did that. That's, you, that's your bad. Uh, <laughs> it's really, really hard to do, though. It's much harder to people give it credit. Yeah. So well done to you and the rest of your crew to actually make something like that. Yeah, and then speaking of of progression uh, nowadays of course you also need to speak about meta progression um because that's just the, the day and age um so i had a lot of younger players um that told me yeah so what what else can i unlock how how do <laughs> i get stronger for the next run basically where are the roguelike uh, yeah. elements right yeah or the the rock light uh, elements and um i was i was concepting some some stuff like that but uh michiel shut me down and i think uh, rightly so because that's just not not fitting to the game so what we settled on is um just uh, cosmetic uh, unlocks right you have achievements uh, like like most games uh, have obviously but then we also uh, with those achievements you get a title that you can set on your account for the for the leaderboards um and i think that that was uh, probably enough to to satisfy those those types of players which i mean it's a it's a valid point if they enjoy this this type of thing yeah. then we sh we should uh, hand that to them right it's intrinsic rewards versus extrinsic yeah, yeah, rewards yeah, yeah, right exactly and games i'm not saying shield Vendamax is an arcade game but it's rooted in arcade game design Definitely. so and that comes with um intrinsic rewards where you are leveling up as a player. It's not your online or your on-screen character that levels up. It's you who becomes better by playing the game. And, and yeah, I'm I'm all about that. Uh, being being a, a PvP player, like uh, talking about about Street Fighter. Yeah. Obviously, there are no character level ups uh, that that you can get on your on your characters. Um, but uh, yeah. Lost my yeah. train of thought. That's all right, don't worry. <laughs> that's that's um, it. We are going a little long, but there's one more question I have to ask you, and we've skipped around it a little bit, but we need to really focus on it now. Is um, it's the sound effects and the score. Uh, we're talking the musical score here, not the score you yep. achieve in played in Shield Made MX. Um, they really complement each other to the point where when you hit something, it's almost on the beat. Uh, it's mm. definitely in the same key. Yes. Definitely yeah, the yeah, same yeah. key, uh, and that's that's, really, that's fascinating. 
Yeah, I it's think. it's uh, completely by accident. So most of the <laughs> no, it is, it is. Yeah, let's, yeah, just, let's it be is. honest about it. Um, the the sound effects, uh, most of the sound effects I cobbled together. Um, some of the more complex ones, and I think you can hear the difference in quality there as well. Uh, for example, the the sound effect that you get during the stage transition, the the hyperspace jump, that was made by by Ed Tremblay, who also composed the uh, the music. Um, and you're right it sometimes sounds like it's synced up the the gameplay and the and the music but that's just an, a happy accident like i love when that happens uh sometimes you, you get this little moment of of quiet between enemy waves and it sounds like the the soundtrack is reacting to it dynamically which is it's not but no, no, no. It, it does sound like it it's it's fantastic and yeah, speaking of the music, obviously a, a huge thing. Um, when we, Michiel mentioned it earlier, the the initial scope of the game was was smaller than what we released, as it of course always is. Every game developer knows that your scope grows. You need to exercise a lot of restraint, but there's only so much restraint that you can exercise. And when we had that initial concept with the uh, endlessly repeating stages and all that, and we had very uh, much simpler graphics than than what we ended up with. <clears throat> we got the those uh, those tracks from from Ed. Uh, Michiel uh, knew uh, Ed from getting the was it the intro song for your podcast? Right? Yeah, that's, he that's also how he composed the intro song for the video with his podcast. Yeah, yeah. So so Michiel reached out to him and asked him to to do some some music for our game. Uh, it was only, I think it was only one track at first, and then we we wanted more tracks for more stages. And the first time we we heard those, we we heard that first track, it it really hyped us up because it's, yeah. it's just really good. And, and it's it that first, us. it's the stage one theme mm -hmm. that he first sent us, and that yeah. uh, that really got us. Yeah, yeah, it really pushed us to like we have those we had those uh, very simple graphics, and now all of a sudden we had this fantastic uh, OST. So we said to ourselves that that doesn't go well together. We need to we need to up our game. We need to match the quality of the of the visuals to the quality of the music. And yeah, that's when we got more involved on the on the visual side. Yeah. And really it it pushed us so much to to give it our all uh just having those fantastic tracks in there. And uh yeah, Mikhail, I guess we can talk about that, right? We just uh commissioned uh, some more tracks yeah. uh, from from Ed. Um, so we, we're reinvesting uh, some of our earnings uh, right back into the game yeah. um, to uh, get some, some different tracks for the later stages and some unique tracks for unique bosses and things like that. And that, again, hopefully will make the game uh, yeah. e even more fun and, and push us even more. Yeah, exactly. I'm really looking forward to hearing those because that's yeah, it's what it's like seventy percent of the experience. I know, yeah, you, it's, it's, it really is. It's uh, shoot 'em ups need need invigorating scores, right? They need yeah, they, really to, they yeah. need to 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 motivate the music needs to motivate you to want to keep on pushing. And yeah. um, I knew Ed has a long running uh, YouTube show called Bullet Heaven in which he reviews many uh, 2D shooters from his uh, collection and he uses his own music in um, in those uh, YouTube videos and he has a band camp and I had been listening to his tunes and I was thinking this is so good 
And I told him in 2013, maybe 2014, hey, if we're ever going to make a shoot 'em up, because I had my big dreams at the time, we'll I'll, I'll be sure to get in touch with you. I, I I responded in a comment field on his about or his community page on his YouTube channel, and he already responded at the time. Oh, that sounds really good. I would love to do that. So then, yeah, in 2020, I got back to him uh, to start doing yeah, yeah. music yeah. for our shoot 'em up. Seven yeah. years later, yeah. So yeah. 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 Shield made uh, MX. It's uh, developed by Hit P Studio. I've got to ask, where's that? Where's that come from? Am I understanding um, my ignorance of something? Go on. What is it? It's a, it's a uh, urban quote unquote sort of slang term, "heart in the paint," which uh, stems from basketball. I remember, right. which means that if you're in the in the painted area in the band, uh, in the end zone, that's where you go hard. That's where you put everything into it. That's where you right. put, go go all in. Um, and I always kind of like that phrase because I'm a creative individual and I like the association association with paint as well. Uh, and so I like the layered meaning of it. And I like uh, a company name or a studio name or a creative entity name that has sort of a mission, mission statement in its name. Like, for example, Platinum Games also. That's, that's a, a mission statement, that the name of that studio. So I wanted to do something similar, and there, that's where Hit P Studio came from. And if you abbreviate "hard in the paint" or make an acronym out of it, it also sounds like hit points, uh, hit punch. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of video game and creative connotations to it, so it fit mm. for me. Really Johannes right. didn't uh, object too strongly against this odd name, so <laughs> we stuck I, with I it. I didn't object at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it, it beats color and animal, so you're good. Good. Thanks. Normally is <laughs> Yellow Pig Studio. Right. Yeah. Great. That means nothing. I know. There's a pig that yeah. happens to be yellow. Anyway, no, Hip Studio. <laughs> uh, it's available. It runs on Microsoft Windows, but I'll let you to carry on. Tell us where yeah, you're, it, it where runs on. Yeah, it runs on Mac and Linux as well. Um, yeah. In the yeah. in the current version, um, it's currently out on itch. Um, so, uh, if you check the the itch main page. I think it's the second featured game. Uh, that's probably just an automated thing by by itch. Um, but if you want to uh, directly go to it, it's uh, let me get the URL here. It's uh, hitp-studio.itch.io/shieldmite-mx, uh, or you can find that uh, on our Twitter, which is a bit uh, easier at hitpstudio. Um, there you can get the game. Uh, as I said, uh, Windows and uh, Mac and Linux, and we're gearing to uh, gearing up towards a Steam release. So we're currently working on that. Itch is I, I love Itch as a platform. It does some does some great things, um, <clears throat> not uh, limited to, but including uh, setting your own uh, revenue share with Itch. Yeah. So that yeah. whole discussion of the Thirty percent or whatever it is that Steam takes—that's just not a—that's just not a thing on it. You can you can decide to not pay them anything. We do pay them something because I think it's a it's a great platform and it's they, worth they, supporting. Yeah, they do some they do some great stuff. Um, but it just is really fairly small. I mean, we we can see our our sales numbers now, and uh, I don't want to really talk about them, but we see them, and yeah, I mean, it's just just. Uh, a drop in the ocean that is uh, Steam and probably the Epic Store uh, nowadays. So we're yeah we're working towards Steam. Um, 
we still have some some legal hoops to to jump through uh, because we are founding an international company and that always takes time and lawyers and money. But as soon as that's uh, done, we'll set up the the Steam page, and then as a little bit after that, you know, collect some some wish lists and and all that. We we'll release on Steam, and then we'll tackle the Switch next. So that's going to be a, a technical challenge, obviously. I mean, right now we don't really have to think much about system specs. I, I have some people on ten-year-old uh, Mac Minis and, and things like that uh, playing the game with, with no problem. But the Switch is going to be a different. I don't want to call it a beast because it's not. <laughs> it's a different different animal for sure. Yeah, it's a different and, critter. It's a different critter, yeah. <laughs> and then after that, uh, we'll see where it goes uh, for for further consoles. And you know, people are asking me for for mobile versions and all that. You know, you know how it is nowadays. No plans there, but um, since we're working with uh, an engine that supports pretty much every platform under the sun, every modern platform, I should say, um, that's that's definitely all in the cards. And then we, yeah, we're working on the on the next uh, free update, and we have a lot of plans for what we still want to do with the game. Um, maybe push some huge updates before new platform launches and things like that. And of course, in the back of our heads, we already have ideas for sequels and other games. And yeah, as Michiel said, we have those those documents with all types of of concepts. Uh, so this is not going to be the last uh, the last step for us. This is only the beginning. Yeah, that point and click adventure won't write itself, will it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's concept for a bullet hell point and click adventure. Yeah, it's going to happen. Don't, don't laugh. It's going to happen. <laughs> bullet click happened. adventure. <laughs> it's probably already happened. So yeah, somebody's yeah. already making it if it's if it hasn't happened. Yeah. yeah, but it's been wonderful having you both on the show. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, so good to talk to you. Yeah, um, and uh, you're more than welcome to come back because we've got a lot of return guests. We've been going for a while. So uh, do come back and chat to us about your new thing, whatever that may be. Indeed, the point and click adventure. Anyway, (laughs) but but until then, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com. <laughs>